amazing how we can assume that we know what the Ten Commands are all about, but I personally have learned a lot of stuff about the Ten Commands, different dimensions that maybe I have taken for granted. And so we are finally on our last command, and um, it's, been, uh, it's been an interesting journey, and we're going to be ending up talking about coveting. Do not covet. You shall not covet your neighbor's house, uh, your neighbor's wife, male or female servant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbors. I find it interesting that the ox and the donkey are right there in the same sentence with your wife, right? I don't know why they are together, but apparently it decides to give us a list of all the things you shouldn't covet. Well, I don't have any neighbor with an ox or donkey, so it looks like I'm okay with that stuff. Well, I think we can accept that these are all examples that are on that list. As I was looking into this, I started to ask questions Uh, about what coveting is because it seems like a simple thing. But the problem with coveting is this. It's the only command that is really hard to measure. Everything else is about behavior or things that you do or don't do. And coveting is all about your heart. It's all about what's inside. It's all about what you desire inside. How do you measure that? In fact, in the laws of the land, we have crimes and and we have uh, uh, laws that measure our crimes. If you kill someone, we have a legal system to measure that. But how do you measure coveting? How do you measure the desires of your heart, especially if you've not done anything? It's easy to look at maybe me or your neighbor beside you and think, well, they probably don't covet. They don't do that. But as Christians, we're really good at looking like we're not coveting right? Just because I don't chase after those things and don't uh, fill my life up with other stuff doesn't mean I don't have that battle within myself. But then it came to this question. I've got uh, five questions that uh, I'm going to put up on the screen here. And then the main question that, that came across my, my, my path was this. What is the difference between dreaming big and coveting? This year, our vision is all about Dreaming big, right? We want to dream big. We have a calling that we believe that we're meant to go and do, as Jimmy Seller says, a greater work. We believe we're meant to get a bigger building. Why? Is it just because we want a bigger, fancier building? Yes, but not just that. But we want to do a greater work. That's what we're being called to do. And so we're saving for that. We're planning for it. We're doing all the work for it. How long will it take? We're not entirely sure, but we're dreaming big. But how do you know it's not just coveting? What about this then? How do you know if your dreams actually turn into coveting? Is it possible that your dreams can just end up being coveting? Something that God gives you is a dream, it's a wonderful thing, and then it really just ends up being about you. You start making it about you. Can your dreams end up just being coveting? Should I even want stuff? Is it to the point where stuff has become such a distraction for me that I should just stop wanting stuff whatsoever? Well, what about how do I know what I want is actually okay to have? Is it okay that I want that car? Is it okay that I want that bigger house? Is it okay that I want to be recognized by my boss and given a higher pay? Is it, it's, you know, am I not meant to be just working for God and God will look after me? Is it okay to want bigger stuff? How about this? Is it more holy to be rich or poor? In fact, you know there's there's a theology that's called the prosperity gospel, the prosperity theology that basically says if you're not wealthy, if you're not rich, then you're not a reflection of God because God is abundant. He is rich and he wants to fill us with all great things. He wants to give us many things. He wants us to have an influence on the world. And how are people going to know that you truly are from God if you don't even look like you're blessed by God? But then you have the other side of the pendulum that says that the root of all evil is the love of money. 
Now, if you maybe have got a problem with uh, chasing after stuff anymore, maybe you should just get rid of that stuff and you should be content with the little stuff that you have and poverty somehow makes you more available to be able to be spending time with God than having a bigger house that means you have to clean it more, you have to fix it more, you have to look after it more and all the time that you're taking up that you could be doing ministry is now being spent on this house or this car or whatever it is. Where is coveting on this this scale? It's a problem because we can think that we're in a a holy place of dreaming, but there's a thin little line that switches over to coveting. And that's the question that I want to look at today. And what I'd ask myself was this, when was the first time that someone coveted? And I think it's pretty simple. I think it's pretty easy. You know what it is, and it's in Genesis. And so we're going to read Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 to 7. Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 to 7. The serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, well, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. And you must not touch it or you will die. He didn't actually say the touch part. But anyway, that's what she said. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and ate it. He was right there. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. All right, so we've asked all these questions of what is it to covet? What, is it, how does it, what does it look like? When do I know when I'm coveting and when I'm not coveting? I want to suggest five things from the scripture that show us when we're coveting. Five things that coveting is. Are you ready for this? Here we go, number one. Coveting is when I want something more than God. Genesis 3, 6 says, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, when she saw it, when she wanted that thing more than God, that's when she took the first step of coveting. How do we know then, how do we know you want something more than God? I've got two suggestions for you. Number one, it's when we start looking at something, we start looking at something God said no to already. I don't know if we really need to go into that too much. It's, if, if your mom has told you not to touch the jar of cookies and all you do is drool looking at them, you know you're putting yourself in the position of, I know she said no, but I really want it. We're torturing ourselves. It's desiring something intensely. Now, 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 you have to understand, if you don't take the cookie, you haven't committed any crime, you're not going to get any punishment, but in your heart, there is something that is driving you to be tempted with taking that cookie. It's when we start looking at something God said no to. It's also this. It's when you can't be happy for someone else who has what you want already. Romans 12, 15 says, rejoice with those who rejoice. Have you ever been on Facebook or something where someone posts a, a new job that they got 
or they just got engaged, or they just got a new house or a new car or something. They're always taking a selfie of themselves in their awesome part of their life, right? You never see people taking selfies of themselves in a really difficult part of their life. It's always the most awesome part of my life right now. It's just so awesome right now when you're on top of a mountain and you've just got your own house and, and you know, you've got a brand new car and everybody loves you. And I've got people sending me money in the mail. That's the type of life I lead, right? And you're looking at it going, that's what I want. That's what I want. And yes, you do want it. Maybe you want something that someone has already got, but the question is this, can you feel joy for them? When you see the thing that they've got, do you look at it and go, that's what I want for them too? And I'm so glad that, I'm so glad that God actually blessed them rather than thinking that why is it they've got it and I don't have it? The problem we have with this is that this, this kind of shows us that this dream, this desire that may not necessarily be, be bad has now put you at the center of the whole thing. You see, this is the difference between dreams and coveting is that God is at the center of it. When you're placing God at the center, you know you're at the right place. Listen, let me tell you this. If you have a dream in your heart that God has given you, be very clear. It's already fulfilled. It's already belongs to you just because it's not in your time schedule. Just because it may have not happened as fast as you want doesn't mean it's not already fulfilled. If God has said, yes, this is what I want, then it's true with or without you. If you want to be a part of it, great. If you don't want to be a part of it, that's fine with God as well. He wants you to be a part of it, but he's still going to fulfill the plans that he has got. Whether you choose to be a part of it, let me tell you, you have to see the importance of this. Because if you live to 102 and your dream is not completed, you can join the ranks of Hebrews 9 of all the people in the Old Testament who saw the things of God and never saw them come to pass in their own lifetime, but they knew they were gonna happen because when God says it's true, it's true. If it's gonna happen, it's gonna happen. It's gonna happen regardless of what your time schedule is. So as far as you're concerned, if God has given you a dream, it's already fulfilled. Hello. It's already fulfilled. We can wait on God for these things. We can wait on God for these things. Coveting is when I want something more than God. Number two, coveting is when I want it now. I want it now. I want it now. We never do that, do we? It's our children that do that. We never do that. But I want it now. Why can I have it now? It's not fair why I can't have it now. Why not come now? Right? Oh, we never do that. We're adults. We're adult Christians. We never do that. Genesis 3, 6 says this. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, comma, comma, she took some, and ate it. No, let, let's reread this. When she saw that it was desirable for gazing, gaining wisdom, she said, you know what? I think I need to take some time with this and think this one through. That's, that's what I should do. Thanks, Mr. Serpent, for, for, for bringing that up to me because I never really considered whether, uh, you know, whether maybe we could take that apple and I could have that thing and how would it change my life? Imagine me, a better version of myself. I could have all that knowledge and all that power and all that wisdom. I'd have all that stuff and I could just have it. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to take some time to think it through and one, I'm going to fast and pray. I'm going to wonder if, if, if it really is something I should do. What I'll do is maybe I'll go even ask God. No, 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 no. Comma, she took some. This is one of the problems with this. How do I know that I want it now? I've got two suggestions for you. Number one, it's when time becomes your enemy. 
when time becomes your enemy. Act now or miss out. If you don't take this deal, you're gonna miss out on this whole thing. And what we do is we maybe go and look at a car, the, the car lot, and like, I just really want that car so much. I really desire that car. It's just awesome. I need to have it now. And then they tell you, if you don't take it now, you're going to miss out on this deal. And you're like, well, if I don't do it, then I'm going to get into the spirit of, I'm going to, I'm going to forget this thing. I'm not going to be able to have it. And it'll be worse. It'll be more expensive for me. So I have to take it or I'm going to be losing God's money by spending too much money. So I have to buy it now. Oh my gosh. We are so easily trapped in by our own coveting. But the, what it does, it takes us to the second problem, which is this. It's when nothing and no one else is good enough. She lived in a garden of plenty trees. She had plenty stuff in her life. She had all the fruit that she'd ever want in her life, and yet none of it was good enough. The problem with coveting is that coveting takes us to the place where we start to desire something above the people that we actually love. We start to desire the things that, that, that are outside of the things that God has already given us, and it takes us to the place of, listen to this, I think that debt is a betrayer of our hearts. Now, you got medical debt? No, that's fine. You got college debt? I understand, no problem. But if you have got debt on something that you never really needed and you no longer have it in your life, it's a betrayer of the coveting that you had had way back when. You see, I desire that thing so much, I have to have it, but you're still paying for it today. You're still paying for this thing that you don't even have in your life anymore. When you've got nothing and no one else is good enough, it's basically saying you can't enjoy what you already have. You go to that car dealership, you look at that, that brand new car, and you're like, well, maybe we can't take it today. We should think about it. You get in the car that God has already given you, and you're not grateful for the car that God has already given you. You're not driving away going, thank you, Jesus, for this car you've already given me. Thank you, Lord, for this wonderful car that I've got. Yes, it rattles, it seems to shake, but it does roll, right? Rattle, shake, and roll, shake, rattle, and roll, right? It just seems to keep rolling, so I'm rocking and rolling all day long, so I should be fine with that, and I can't be grateful for this one thing that God has already given me. And look at that, it's when nothing and no one is good enough. She took this apple and gave it to her husband. Now, he's responsible for himself. He was right there. He could have said, no, 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 no. What are you doing? This is not what God's told us to do. He didn't do it. He's responsible for himself. But still, she turned and went, how about you? And she gave, put him in the mix of coveting too. He was now being tempted himself. Listen, how many of you gone off and bought something and you just decided to go ahead and do it, but you didn't actually call your wife? Hello, few amens right now. How many of you have done something and didn't go home and ask your husband, hey, do you think we should do it? And he went, you know what, babe, we've been saving up for this. Why are we buying a new pair of shoes that I can't even wear, right? Why are we buying a new pair of shoes when you've got 20 shoes in your cupboard? Uh, what do you call it? Closet, right? Uh, <laughs> There's a pantry, right? Why? It makes sense. Sense. Okay, you've got plenty of shoes over here and one more pair of shoes. I know they're gorgeous and they were on sale and you've saved so much money, but we agree we're going to go save for this thing over here that we think God is leading us to. And what we do is we sacrifice the relationships that are around us. We sacrifice the people who are already in our lives and we just go ahead to sacrifice not only our purity, but we're now sacrificing their purity if we get them to agree to go along with what we've just done, which was selfish. There's an old story of a, of a rich man who 
um, had a son, and he was a very, very wealthy man, and uh, his son grew up and went off to college, and when his son went off to college, um, he did very well in college, and before he was about to graduate, he had spoken to his son, and he said, son, I want to tell you how proud I am of you, and I would love to get you a gift for saying, well done for graduating. What would you like? And he said, dad, I'd love a sports car. He said, sports car, okay, sports car. So graduation came, and it went, and the father was sitting in his, in his, his uh, home study and his son came in and, uh, and he said, son, I've got something for you and I want to give it to you. It's one of the most important things I will ever give to you in your life. And he took the Bible, he took his box and he put it in front of him, told you already what it was, put a box, right? Put it in front of him and the boy uh, opened it up, the lad opened it up and he pulled it out and it was a leather bound Bible with his name on it. And he said, is this it? all the money you've got, and this is what you wanted to give to me. And he put it back in the box, and then he walked out. And he grew up more, and he got himself a job, and he left home. He got, he's got enough money to be able to buy his own sports car. He got himself married, and he had a child. And as he got older, his father got older. And one day, he got a phone call that his father had actually had a heart attack. So he got out of his office early and went down to the hospital. And by the time he got down to the hospital, they said, we're oh, sorry, it was such a massive heart attack, he actually died. And he felt gutted because he'd lost his father. And so he had to go home and start making uh, uh, plans for his father's funeral with his mother. And he went home and went to his father's office to look through some of his stuff to see his will and to, to find his documents, etc. And then he came across, as he was sitting there, he saw the Bible that was sitting on the shelf and he remembered the day when his dad gave it to him, but he never received it. So he got up and he took the Bible and he sat down with it just to read it and he opened it up and there was a small card inside that said, congratulations, son, I'm proud of you. Go pick out the car that you want. I want you to understand that you don't spoil what you have by desiring what you have not. What you now have was once amongst the things that you had only hoped for. Let me tell you this, the only thing that is worse than waiting is wishing that you had. If only you had waited. You've got stuff in your life right now that you wish you didn't have anymore. And you wish that you had just waited for that very thing. Number three. Coveting is when I want something at any price. When I want something at any price. God is a free will God. He has given us the freedom of our will. You can ask God, can I have it? No. Can I have it? No. Can I have it? Go ahead. Do as you wish. Because God is not going to be a policeman to us. He's going to be a father to us. And that father eventually will allow you to do what you want to do because that's what we get to do. It's a free will thing. But the problem we have is that you're now getting what you want and getting what you want may actually get you what you don't want. What came along with that whole thing of, of taking that fruit was they now had the curse. They now had division between them and God, division between each other. They now had death in their life. They now had debt in their life. They now had all these other things that came along with the very thing that they want. What is it that you actually want? What do you want? I don't know, it's not that easy. What do you want? It is that easy. What do you want? And then you say what it is that you want. Be very clear to ask the question, is this what God wants for me? because stuff is gonna come along with it. Hopefully it's the blessing of God and not the curse of being apart from God. Getting what you want may get you where you don't want to be. 
you may be in a, pl a place of being alone because I just wanted that girl. I just wanted that marriage. I just wanted it, but now you're alone because you've gone through a divorce because the marriage didn't work out. I just wanted that thing, but now you're in debt. I just wanted the, 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 the high. I wanted the feeling, but now you're addicted. I just wanted to be able to have what I wanted in my control, but now you're afraid. Listen, I'm gonna tell you something. I'm gonna ask you to do something for me. This Easter, we're doing a show on the prodigal, the prodigal son. And the prodigal son is all about the son that went to his father and said, I want what I want. Can I have it? I want it. And he said, okay, son, there you go. And he went off and he experienced everything that he wanted in life and he got all a bunch of stuff that he never wanted in life. And then he turned back to his father. The whole story, the whole point of the story is this, that the father is always waiting at the gate for you. He is always ready to receive you. He is always ready to bring you home. This play is not, listen now, this play is not for you not for you. You're already walking with God. You're already a Christ follower. But it's for every person that you know in your life who has not found their way back to God, who say they might be Christian, who say they might be good, but they're not walking with God. Come on. We need to see a vision for spreading the word to other people about that the Father wants them home. Now, maybe you're not into a person who can tell other people about the gospel of Christ so easily because you find it difficult and you're still going through a learning cycle. But this show has been put on the best music, the best choreography, the best backdrops, the, 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 the video that's going to be put together. It's going to be phenomenal. And it might be the one opportunity that for someone in your life to be able to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ through one of the parables, the parables that he told, which is the story of the prodigal son. Do you think you can invite someone? Hello? I want you to think about it now, start praying about it now and saying, God, who do you want me to tell about this thing so you can speak to them? Because this is not for me. I'm not coming to be entertained by this. I want to see the joy of someone hearing that the Father still wants them home. Hallelujah. I'm excited for that. Here we go. Oh, let me say this one last thing, okay? I do have two more here. I felt this kind of important to say she didn't just pass it on to her husband, but they both passed it on to their children. And the problem that we have is that whatever you tolerate in your life, your children are gonna embrace. You see, children are not people who just repeat the things you do. They are the people who magnify the things you do. They multiply the things that you do, right? So if you make one child, that one child is gonna make multiple children. They're going to magnify it. They're going to multiply it. And sometimes what I think is when we see covetousness or selfishness within our children, we negotiate with them. We try and negotiate them out of having that toy. Listen, we'll get you another toy. But they're, I want that toy. But we'll get you a different toy. We'll get you a better toy. And we start negotiating with our children to promise them something bigger and greater when the fact is we need to demand that they have a change of heart. Listen, because you're demanding this, uh -uh, I'm going to root this thing out in the name of Jesus right now with the hook of right righteousness, right? The right hand of righteousness right here. Listen, 
Let me tell you, we can't afford to negotiate with our children because if they walk with the covetousness that we've given them permission to have in their life, they're gonna multiply it and magnify it. You have to make sure that if you're not walking this path, you have to make sure that you do because your children are gonna magnify it. I'm amazed, now forgive me if this feels like a, uh, a rebuke to you, but um, I can't say it any other way, but I'm amazed how many people want their children to walk with God, but they don't go to church themselves all the time. They don't go to group all the time. They do it once a month, twice a month, you know, whenever I've got time, whenever I can make it, and whenever I can try and make it happen. And then they expect their children to actually walk with God better. Really, do you want, you want your children to walk with God the same way you do, or do you want them to walk with God better than you do? Then you have to put the investment in. Okay, that was the final rebuke right there. Okay, last one. Here we go. No, second to last one. Coveting is when I don't check with God. Genesis 3, 1, 2. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals and the Lord God had made. He said to the serpent, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, I'm looking at this going, said to the serpent? She actually got into a conversation with this thing? Are you kidding me? She got into a conversation with this thing to talk about what she didn't have in her life. Who are you in a conversation with? Because you're in a conversation with someone. And you're either in a conversation with your past or you're in a conversation with your future, with what God wants in your future. It's amazing how we can be in a conversation with a tape recorder that's now stuck in our heads of things that our father said or our mother said or our father didn't say or our mother didn't say. It's amazing how we're in a conversation with the ego of the things that I so desire, the glory that I want, the glory that I need to have in my life. And we're in that constant conversation and pursuit of what I don't have and what I really want when the fact is we're in the conversation with the wrong person, with your past, with your ego, or with the enemy when you should be in a conversation with God. Listen, what if she had just went, you know, Mr. Serpent, that's a wonderful idea. I really like that idea. You're really selling me on this right now. But how about we just call on God right now and find out, what does he say? Hey, God, Father, Dad, where are you? Dad, hey, Dad, hey, hey, listen, having a conversation with a serpent, and he said that I would actually get more stuff if I could eat this apple. Imagine what would happen. Imagine the difference that would happen in our life if we went and asked God first, how much, the question is, how much do you want an answer from God? How much? What are you willing to do? Let me tell you, you're willing to commit to, hello, 60 months of payments on a brand new car, five years. Are you willing to do 60 months of monthly payments of fasting every month until you hear a word from God? but I want that thing right now. I want that new house. I want that ministry. I want that job. I want that car. I want to be married. I want to do that. Great. How about you commit to 60 months of fasting once a month till you get that answer from God? We're not as invested in finding out what God wants as we are in getting the things that we want. Hello. Can I shout an amen from someone here? Can I hear it? Hallelujah. That is so right. I have been going towards and paying the price for stuff that I wanted, but I never asked God, what do you want? Well, I haven't heard from God. Because I haven't heard from what I'll do is I'll just go find it out myself. Wait, maybe you need to make 60 months of payment. Maybe you need to wait. We are so eager to go get what we want. 
When I was a teenager, I remember being in this meeting of, and this preacher from New Zealand had come to my church in, in, in Scotland, in Dundee, and uh, he was talking about dating, and, uh, 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 and he, was, he was talking about how you should go about dating. I'll never forget he said this. He said this. He said, do you know how far you can go with the girl you're with or with the guy you're with? Do you know how you, you should know? you know how you can find out? It's really easy. Go ask her dad. Hey, Hey, Mr. Girl's dad, uh, can you tell me how far I can go? Can I put my tongue? No, okay, I can't do that. Okay, can I touch? No, I can't? Okay, all right. It's really easy. Go ask her dad. He'll go get a shotgun and give you the riot reading, right? He'll give you a very clear signal of what you can or cannot do. And if your father's not there, whilst you're thinking whether you should do something or shouldn't do something, just imagine that he is there. It's really easy peasy. If you're doing something and desiring something right now, just imagine your father is with you. It's really easy because he is. And when he's with you, you can ask him, Dad, you want me to do this? If he's a good God, he will answer. And if he hasn't answered, go find him. Go find him. Track him down. Go ask him. He wants to give us an answer. He said in his word that if you ask, he shall answer. Last one. Here we go. Coveting is when I demand from God. I came across this little uh, scripture that I hadn't really uh, studied before. I find it kind of fascinating with what, happened, uh, with what happened here. And it's when Jesus was teaching his disciples and it says, someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And Jesus replied, man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of, what does it say? covetousness. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Now, historically, if someone, if your parents die or something and there's a will, you would take that will to the lawyer or an arbiter who will actually help you to settle what you're meant to do to split things up. In those days, what they did is if the family couldn't figure it out themselves, they would take it to a religious teacher. So it's normal for this guy to have walked up to him and yet Jesus didn't give him an answer. He turned it around on him and said, listen, what you want is what you want. It's not about being fair. It's amazing how when we think there's an injustice, we start demanding from God that justice. I want that thing. I deserve that thing. If you don't deserve it, you know you're being a bratty kid. But if you think you deserve it, then you're demanding from God that you want that thing. I did this actually when my father died. When he father, my father died, he had ministered his entire life and given his life to, to, to uh, people and, and uh, fathering them uh, spiritually and, and giving a lot of time to people. And then at 67 years old, he just dies from cancer. And I felt like he got cheated because I felt like he should have been able to live into a long old age to see my children at least. I didn't have any children at the time. I, wanted, I felt like I felt cheated for my, my children because they didn't get to see my father that I got to grow up with myself. And when I felt cheated. I kept demanding from God, why? Why did you do it this way? It's not fair. It's not right. If there's any one man who has a, deserves to have a long life, surely it should have been my dad. My dad. Why did you do it that way? I'll never forget. One night my, I felt God spoke to me and he said this to me, do you really want to know? That scared the living daylights out of me because I realized I might get an answer I don't like and I don't want. And I took a few days to think about it and I came back to God and I said to him, what I really want to know is what I do next. And I didn't realize at the time what I was doing was switching over from my dad to God, my father. And you have to understand 
that God the Father is the one who understands everything that you need. And he doesn't want to give you everything that you want. He wants to give you everything that you need, not everything that you want. Because he has a bigger plan, and it's to prosper you. It's to multiply you. It's to bless you. That's what our Father wants for us. I was reading a book not so long ago, and it's called uh, uh, C.S. Lewis. You've heard of C.S. Lewis, Lying the Witch in the Wardrobe. And he has this book called The Great Divorce. It's kind of a, an odd title for a book, but the book is all about a bus full of people who are, have the opportunity, they've crossed over into the next life and into eternity, and they have the opportunity to go to heaven. But on this bus, they, they are actually in a city that's a very gray city. What I love with uh, C.S. Lewis is the way he kind of describes things. Um, he describes it in such a way that he's describing hell. So we have this idea that hell is like, you know, some devil with a pitchfork and he's got fire and he's just making it worse for you. But he actually describes it as a very gray city. And so they get on this bus to take a journey up to heaven to see what it's like. And when they get there, they notice that everything is really hard, that even the grass is hard. It's so tough that when if you touch it, you could cut yourself. And it was it wasn't that heaven was so hard, it was that they were so weak and so soft, and they were easily injured by the glory of God. And so they had an opportunity to decide whether they accept Jesus Christ to be able to enter into the kingdom of heaven, or did they want to go back to where they came from, which was the great city, and many of them went back to where they came from. But how C.S. Lewis described hell was fascinating. He said, hell isn't the place where you're being punished by the devil, hell is where you are and where you get what you want. You get everything you want. You want a house? You've got it. You want someone else dead? You've got it. If you want to steal something, you have it. If you want to be, uh, uh, have any type of food, you have it. If you want someone to, to suffer, you've instantly got it. The problem is everybody else gets what they want as well. And when you get what you want, you don't need anybody else, so you're not connected to anyone else, and you get a whole bunch of curses with it, and everyone else there gets what they want as well. Oh, that would be like a children's party with a parent. That's what that would be like. What a mess that place would be. Starts off as fun, starts off as autumn, eat, uh, awesome, eat, eat as much as you want, do what you want, and suddenly the kids turn on each other and they hate each other, just like that baby right now. <laughs> ah! That's what hell is like. And James, this last scripture says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire but do not have, so you kill your relationships. You kill your opportunities. You kill your own life. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and you argue. You've been in an argument lately? Maybe the problem is you. Who would have thought? You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your own pleasures. I want you to take a finger. A pastor did this with me recently. Take your finger, right? No, this finger, this finger, not, not the middle finger. And then I want you to do this, right? And I want you to say to me, you know what your problem is? Say it with enthusiasm, okay? You know what your problem is? I want what I want. Let's do it again. You know what your problem is? I want my way. <laughs> You're right. That's my problem. That's your wife's problem with you. That's your husband's problem with you. 
That's your children's problem with you. That's God's problems with you. That's all the unsaved souls that are waiting for you to go to them. That's their problem with you because you want your way. This is why I believe that God left this command at the very end. Because once he had said everything, he said, here's the measure of what you shouldn't do. But here's the root of the problem. You want what you want. See, it started with Adam and Eve, and it's still inside of us. Every day we have to fight this, Christians. We have to fight this thing. If you're going to be a Christian and walk with God, we have to fight this thing within us.